1: Terren Pritchett.
3: Good evening, everyone. Eight minutes after five o'clock on this Wednesday, February the 22nd of 2023. Sports feed on the air, 960 a.m. WSBT, WSBTradio.com, our free WSBT radio app. A video feed of the show on the twitch app my name is darren pritchett thank you so much for spending a couple of moments with us here on wsbt radio sports beat is a full two hours tonight even though it's a notre dame basketball game day the irish basketball team will be starting later tonight it's north carolina at notre dame a nine o'clock tip here on wsbt radio tony Simeone. We'll start the coverage on the Notre Dame Radio Network with the pregame starting at 8.30. It's a very important basketball game for North Carolina. There is a Notre Dame storyline that I'll get to coming up in a couple of moments as the Heels and the Irish get together tonight at 9 o'clock. Also on the program this evening, what are we going to focus on? Well, we've got our Twitter question of the day. Indiana could never grab the momentum back from Michigan State after the Spartans stole it away in the first half, and the Spartans picked up a victory, making the Big Ten standings even more of a mess. It's kind of Purdue and Northwestern and then a handful of teams jockeying for position. You'll hear from Mike Woodson and Tom Izzo, Coming up are my five question of the day. Would you believe there are some way too early, but something you can wager on, college football lines. There are three Notre Dame football lines that have been posted by FanDuel. I'll give you the three right now, and you at home, in your car, you can react as I announce these three games. Notre Dame, the opener against... Navy, overseas, the Irish are favored by 17.5 over the midshipmen. Also, two home games already have lines for next year. Notre Dame taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes. C.J. Stroud, their quarterback, getting ready for the NFL draft. Notre Dame is a big-time underdog at home against the Buckeyes. It's Notre Dame getting... Eight and a half points. And let me tell you this, when the lines first came out, Notre Dame was getting seven and a half. So now they're even a greater underdog after a few days of wagering. Notre Dame plus eight and a half against Ohio State. And the third game with an early line on FanDuel, Notre Dame is plus three against Southern California at Notre Dame Stadium. So those are three of the way-too-early college football lines, courtesy of FanDuel, that you can actually wager on right now, which will lead us to our My5 question of the day in the 6 o'clock hour. What are my five favorite way-too-early college football lines? And two of the three Notre Dame games are in my top five. Also coming up, you'll hear from Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider, at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We talk about Jared Parker becoming offensive coordinator. We'll talk about how the city of Chicago, there are some blue-chip prospects in the 24 cycle that Notre Dame is definitely keeping an eye on. That and more coming up as we talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer probably about an hour from right now at 6.15 here on WSBT Radio. And we'll have a little sizzler, some sports wagering, but I'm just trying to get out of a funk. Three straight days, or actually four straight days, of not great picks. We'll try to turn it around tonight. And two of the four selections come from tonight's Notre Dame and North Carolina matchup. Before we get to our hat trick of opening topics, as a sports broadcaster, this is what I would call a very important day in my childhood someone that grew up in central Illinois, it was not a hockey area. No one really cared about hockey. Yeah, the Blues and the Blackhawks were close, but where I came from, it was baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. I didn't have many hockey friends, to say the least. But this is the date, back in 1980, the greatest upset in American sports took place Wow, 43 years ago today. Hard to believe the United States hockey team made up of collegiate players, just like players you see at Notre Dame's Compton Family Ice Arena, taking on the professional USSR team that was absolutely destroying all the competition. The two teams played an exhibition game at Madison Square Garden right before the Olympics, and Team USA got hammered by the Soviets. You also keep in mind the Cold War was going on at that time between the United States and the Soviet Union. There was a lot of tension here in America. We were dealing with a lot of crisis, the long gas lines. It was a very interesting time. And who would have thought a bunch of college hockey players would lift the spirits of our country and... I guess at that time, little did we know it would become known as the greatest upset in American sports history as a bunch of college kids beat the professional Soviet team in a medal round game, the Olympics in Lake Placid, New York, back in 1980. This was just to get to the gold medal game. You win this game, you're not as sure of the gold medal, but to say the least, you shocked the world with this particular game. And the United States had a 4-3 lead over the Soviets with one minute to go in the game. The great Al Michaels, known for probably this generation, Sunday Night Football broadcaster. But he was also a great Cincinnati Reds play-by-play man. Great in the baseball circles with World Series activity on ABC. But oddly enough, he's probably most well-known for this call, the final minute of as this bunch of college kids try to beat the Soviets, it was 4-3. Team USA with less than a minute to go. And Al Michaels, for a guy that had not called a lot of hockey, he was brilliant.
1: Into the American end, 55 seconds, but Mikhailov has the puck. Mikhailov sweeping in, out in front, backhander goes wide. I think Craig might have got just a piece of it. Mikhailov, back out to legend on. 43 seconds remaining. Morrow check into the boards it comes back to center ice 38 37 seconds left in the game petrov with it the americans on top four to three long shot craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away 28 seconds the crowd going insane carlomo shooting it into the american end again morrow is back there now johnson 19 seconds johnson over to ramsey they you let it off Gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow. Up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable.
3: I would have to say the most famous call maybe in broadcast history. There are a couple near the top. That is right there with the best of them. Do you believe in Miracles, absolutely perfect. And when the movie was made about this great moment, Miracle was the name of the movie. And not everything in the movie was 100% on, but it was a terrific movie that was put together by Disney. Mike Ruzioni, who scored the game-winning goal from Boston University. I remember when Notre Dame was in Hockey East, we were walking around again Arena I think coming from the hotel, going in for our morning skate, and Mike was walking in the opposite direction, and I'm not sure really how many of our guys knew who it was. I recognized him immediately, but he scored the game winner that day. 43 years ago today as the Americans beat the Soviets 4-3, and then they would beat Finland to win the gold medal, and nothing has topped that in Olympic hockey for the United States since that great moment back in 1980 and you know we're getting back to now college players AHL players being a part of the team USA squad since NHL players were not sent the last time to the Olympics so who knows maybe sometime soon we'll have a Notre Dame representative in the Olympics all right 517 is our time and I'll say this that day got me interested in hockey I don't know if I'm the Notre Dame hockey broadcaster, honestly, without that happening because I never paid attention to hockey. I was, I guess, about nine years old at that time, eight years old. I just remember the crowd chanting, USA. I'm like, wow, what are they all cheering about? What's this red line? What's this blue line? And everybody's going crazy, so let's watch this. And, you know, little did I know that sparked my interest in hockey. We got a big satellite dish in 1982, and I learned more about the NHL. and I guess kind of the rest is history, but – I'm so thankful the Americans upset the Soviets, or I'm not sure if I would have got the hockey bug like I did once that game took place. All right, 518 is our time. I'm Darren Pritchett. Let's get to our hat trick of opening topics. Budweiser's weekday sports beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And we start with high school basketball slash Notre Dame basketball. Last night, I had the chance to take in the Mishawaka-Penn basketball game at the Penn Palace, the Kingsmen, the number two team in the state in Class 4A, the only team to beat them this year, the number one team in the state, Ben Davis, and there's a very good chance they could hook up in the state championship game. In order to be a true state title contender, At the 4A level, you really need to have a Division I prospect. You don't have to, but it sure helps. Ben Davis has a 6'9 Division I prospect. And Penn has that particular prospect. In guard, Marcus Burton, who of course is signed to play basketball at the University of Notre Dame. With the announcement that Mike Bray is retiring, Burton is the only member left in that class of 2023. Two individuals asked for and got their release from Notre Dame. So Burton's all by himself in the class of 2023. He's done a lot this year. Recently became the all-time leading scorer in St. Joe County history. He's now over 2,000 points, and he is one of the leading candidates to be named Mr. Basketball in Indiana this year. And no surprise, he put on another show last night in the backyard brawl against Mishawaka. Brian Miller had the call on our sister station, 96 won the ton.
1: Marcus Burton shakes, makes, dribbles, and a pull-up left pointer up and good. Marcus Burton with a dozen back to Smith. Gives to Marcus Burton, dribbles right by two or three defenders, and explodes to the basket, put it up at him. He has got 18. Side. Marcus Burton going to play horse and he just made sure that he didn't pick up a letter with that three ball as Marcus Burton knocks home another three goes to Marcus Burton fires up a three ball with a hand check that pushed him down it was Maddox showy, but no blood no foul Burton gets another three ball and it's Burton will barely step across the timeline in the volleyball line and launch another three and score his fifth triple four of that minimum period number three.
3: Well, Marcus finished with 34 points last night on senior night as the Kingsman rolled by the caveman in the backyard brawl. So what can Marcus Burton bring to the Notre Dame basketball program? We don't know who the coach is going to be at this time, but one thing is for sure that Notre Dame is getting a terrific ball handler. Great ability to handle the basketball with both hands, has some dynamic dribbling activity to get himself free from defenders. So he's got the ability to get into scoring range with his ability to handle the basketball. When you have a guy that's averaging 30 points per game, he's a Mr. Indiana basketball candidate, you think all about scoring. But one thing about Burton, he distributes the basketball extremely effectively. He can get himself into the lane with the dribble. The defense normally collapses on him, which you can't always do because they have 6'7", six, 6'8", six, up front. You leave that big open down low, and it's an easy layup for that particular player. But also, Penn has two other really, really good guards to get lost in the shuffle, including the Smith kid last night who had a couple of early threes in the ball game, but Marcus's ability to get in the lane, even though he's under six foot, he still has the ability with his great vision to get the ball to the right person. And when those other guards are hitting threes, Penn is almost unbeatable because Burton's going to get his 30. And when those other guards are hitting, it's pick your poison. And the poison does not taste very good for the opposition. So I love the fact he's a really good distributor of the basketball, despite the fact that He gets his shots and averages 30 points per game. I think he's a solid on-ball defender. I think he gets a little grabby at times, which you'll have to clean up at the Division I level. But with his foot quickness, you know, he's going to have the ability to keep people in front of him. And I think more than anything else, he has evolved his offensive game. Marcus has made himself into a major threat shooting the three-point shot. I talked about his ball handling. He's a distributor, and he can score from anywhere. He can get himself into great scoring range around the basket, or he can line up and shoot a long-range three-point shot, and he fired a couple of long threes last night that found the bottom of the net. So he is truly one of those guys that knows how to score the basketball, and that should translate well to Notre Dame. So what's the next step for Burton now going to Notre Dame? A couple of things that have stood out to me. As I mentioned, get a little less grabby on the defensive end, rely on that quickness and foot speed, basketball IQ to put himself in the right spot. I'm going to be curious to see how he's going to be able to defend the big ACC guards, not being six foot, facing 6'3", 6'4", swing You think about playing Virginia, how Virginia gets their guards down low, and They'll post up the opposing guard. That could be an issue. And you know what? Honestly, people talk about three-star, four-star, five-star. I don't get into all that drama as much as other people. He's listed normally as a three-star. If he's 6'3", he's a four- or a five-star probably. I'm only imagining I don't make the stars. But I can only guess his height is the only thing keeping him from being more well thought of by the recruiting services. And you know what? That doesn't matter. He's picked his school. He's going to Notre Dame. He's happy, and that's all that matters. So who cares about the star system? I do think one thing on offense, he has a tendency from time to time to use that chicken wing to get a little extra separation from the defender. You're going to get away with that at the high school level, being the premier player on the floor. Going to Notre Dame, that push-off, As we all know in college, basketball is being called more than ever. So that's just a minor cleanup that I think can easily be taken care of. But Notre Dame's got a guy that knows how to score the basketball, distributes the ball well, great ball handler. I think he's got really good basketball IQ, defends well. And it'll be interesting to see, honestly, who he plays with next year. Who's going to be left? Who's coming in? I would have to imagine he is automatically a starter next year because you lose all your scores except Starling, who's back, but J.J. may not come back. He might go somewhere else with the transfer portal. you got no one else in the class right now, so Marcus at this point is kind of passing to himself. He's going to average 75 per game. But hopefully Notre Dame, once they get their coach, they can get some transfers into the program and Notre Dame will have a competitive team next year. But we've got a great talent to watch again in our area. In Burton, we've had Demetrius Jackson, Blake Wesley recently at South Bend Riley, and now Marcus Burton who has a chance to help Penn gain their first boys basketball state championship. That's really, you look at all the sports at Penn, that might be the biggest omission from their trophy case is a boys basketball state title. The girls took care of their title back in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. And this Penn team, I think they're as good as any local team that we have had in a few years. And I mean this to compliment the rest of the Penn team, not as a negative toward Burton. Because with Marcus Burton in this group, they can win a state title. If you didn't have Burton, I think this group is talented enough. I'm not sure their record would be any different than it is right now. That's how much respect I have for the other parts of this Outroads basketball team. But with Burton, they go to another level as a state championship contender. So Kingsmen have lost once, and it might be a while before they lose again, if they lose again. We know down around Indianapolis, weird things happen. Teams beat really, really elite teams, and if Ben Davis gets knocked out, who knows, maybe that opens the door even more for Penn to win that state championship and a chance to have a baseball and a basketball title within a year, which is one heck of an accomplishment. All right, our second hat trick opening topic for this Wednesday Notre Dame and North Carolina playing at Purcell Pavilion tonight, 9 o'clock start, pregame at 8.30 here on WSBT Radio. For Notre Dame, hey, let's face it, there aren't many positive storylines right now. If I can grab a storyline, it's a minor one, but if Notre Dame loses tonight, they would fall into a tie with Louisville for last place in the ACC. If Notre Dame loses, they would be... 2-15. 2-15. and 15. Now they beat Louisville head-to-head so they would not be the last seeded team of the ACC tournament but in terms of looking up the standings on the internet Notre Dame would be tied for Louisville if they lose this game. For Carolina remember when this team was number one in the country? They are now 16-11 they are 8-8 eight eight in a less than stellar ACC and keep this in mind Carolina's on the road tonight the Heels are only 2-7 away from the Dean Dome this season. If you are a believer in Joe Lenardi and his bracketology on ESPN, entering tonight's game, the North Carolina Tar Heels are not in the field of 68. According to Lenardi, they are the second team out of the field of 68. So it is obvious to say losing to Notre Dame would classify as a bad loss for this Carolina basketball team. It would be a stain on their resume. They cannot lose this game tonight for the Fighting Irish. Hey, just go wing it, man. Let her rip, as Mike would say. Coach Bray's just going to keep them loose. Let's go out there, have some fun. Let's see what happens. Now, Notre Dame has lost five in a row, but their last four losses have been by a combined total of 14 points. So they are in all these games. They just can't get over the hump. Maybe this is a night with a Carolina team that's not playing great at this time. They're not great on the road. Could this be a moment where Notre Dame rises up and puts a little dagger in the heart of the Tar Heels? History shows Carolina matches up very well with Notre Dame. Back on January 7th in Chapel Hill, North Carolina at the Dean Dome, Carolina beat the Irish by 17 points, 81-64. Now the Heels built a 41-28 halftime lead, ended up winning by 17. In that game, their talented post player Armando Baycott kind of did whatever he wanted, 9 of 17 from the field, 21 points, 13 rebounds. Caleb Love had 18 for Carolina. For the Irish down in Chapel Hill, Nate Lashevsky had 17, Dane Goodwin, J.J. Starling with 10. Cormac Ryan did not finish that game. He was called for a flagrant two foul and was ejected. After Puff Johnson dunked on him, they both went crashing to the floor. And Cormac, with his right foot, kicked near the face of Puff Johnson. After video review, Ryan was assessed a flagrant two foul and was ejected from the contest. In that ball game, the Irish hit 7 of 18 threes for 38%. Carolina had some great looks against that Notre Dame defense. They shot 47% from the field. No surprise, the Irish were minus 13 in the rebounding category. It's Notre Dame and North Carolina. 9 o'clock tip at Purcell Pavilion. Hear the game on WSBT Radio. Pre-game coverage starts at 8.30. And finally, another hat trick opening topic for this Thursday. The Big Ten and the Big 12 are going to dominate the field of 68 there is a chance they could have as many as 18 or 19 teams between the two conferences in the field. Realistically, I think 16 might be the least amount of teams they'll get in. Right now, Joe Lodardi of ESPN, his bracketology, has 17 teams between these two conferences making the NCAA tournament. Eight of those teams from the Big 12, Nine from the Big Ten. But there's a big difference between the two leagues. Based on resumes and what we have witnessed this year, and based on Joe Lenardi's seeding in his bracketology, the Big 12 is in a much better position to move teams forward in the bracket compared to the Big Ten. Well, first off, if you follow college basketball – In particular, you know what's happened with the Big Ten the last two years. They have stunk in the NCAA tournament. Lousy performance the last two years for the Big Ten. So history shows this may not be any better. Who knows? But you look at the seating. The Big 12 teams are near the top of the seating, while the Big Ten is basically middle of the pack. Let's run through this. The Big 12, again, has eight teams in the field, according to Joe Lenardi. They have one number one seed right now, the defending national champion, Kansas Jayhawks, two number two seeds. Texas is very close to grabbing a one seed. The other two seed is Baylor, who has lost back-to-back road games to Kansas and Kansas State. Speaking of Kansas State, The Wildcats and Iowa State are three seeds. So out of the top 12 teams in Joe Lenardi's bracketology, out of 12, five of the 12 are Big 12 teams. Only one Big 10 team falls into the top 12. No surprise, Purdue, a number one seed. The Big 12, besides those five teams highly seeded, They've got a really good TCU team as a six. West Virginia and Oklahoma State in the field right now, but not in a great comfortable spot. They are both 11 seeds. So remember how tightly packed at the top the Big 12 teams were. Well, the Big 10 may have more teams in, but they have, you could argue, less of a chance of moving forward based on the seeding in the tournament. The 9 Big 10 teams line up this way. Purdue still is a number 1 seed despite their recent struggles. The next highest seeded team, the Indiana Ball Club, they are number 4 right now in the seeding process. So 5 of the top 12 seeds are Big 12. Indiana is the second highest seeded Big 10 team and they are only a 4 seed and They did not give the Big Ten a lot of hope by the way they played the final 30 minutes of last night's game at Michigan State. Northwestern, who is in second place in the Big Ten, they're only a sixth seed in Lenardi's bracket. Then you've got three Big Ten teams as seven seeds, Illinois, Maryland, and Michigan State, with Iowa an eight, Rutgers nine, and Wisconsin 11. So even though the Big Ten has more teams than the Big 12, the Big 12, they've got more of the big guns going into the field of 68 while the Big Ten has Purdue and then kind of a whole bunch of other teams scrapping in the middle of the seating for the field of 68. So right now, the Big Ten outside of Purdue and Northwestern, they're just beating each other up. I mean, it is demolition derby. In the middle of the Big Ten standings, and I'm just not sure how many of those teams are going to make that big run. Can they change the narrative of the last two years? Now, matchups are everything in the tournament, injuries as well. But the Big Ten's going to have to prove it to us that this year is going to be different. But watch out for the Big 12. You watch those games, the competition level is a step up from the Big Ten and probably two or three steps up from the ACC. That's our hat trick of opening topics, analysis on Penn's Marcus Burton, who's going to Notre Dame, a preview of Notre Dame, North Carolina, and the Big 12 is greater than the Big 10 as of right now in college basketball. Twitter question of the day is coming up. We'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer in about a half an hour on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter Question of the Day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
3: Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on WSBT Radio, 18 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Let's go to the tote board, our Twitter Question of the Day yesterday, which is available on my Twitter account at 960 Sports Beat. This got a lot of attention yesterday. The question was, are you more comfortable with the dynamics of the Notre Dame offensive coordinator search after hearing from Irish head coach Marcus Freeman on Monday? This, of course, is in reference to all the rumors and the buyout questions and all the different rumors and storylines that came out in regard to Notre Dame bringing in a couple of coordinators for whatever reason. Didn't work out. Jared Parker. Is now the offensive coordinator. He comes from Coach Freeman's staff. So, are you more comfortable with the dynamics of this coordinator search after you heard from Marcus Freeman on Monday, who very confidently and delivered some great messages in regards to all of these scenarios? And you were convinced, Irish fans. 67% say they are now more comfortable with the dynamics of the coordinator search after hearing from Marcus Freeman. 33% still say no, not all the way sure that's the way everything transpired. Again, I think Parker nailed the press conference, and that more than anything made me feel a lot better. But at the end of the day, no matter if they hired Parker, Klein, Ludwig, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick as offensive coordinator, it comes down to results. And we will have results in a few months. So until we get results, we are not going to know how this is going to turn out. We do know this. Notre Dame has a high-level quarterback ready to run whatever offense that Jared Parker goes with. So we greatly appreciate you supporting our Twitter question of the day. And let's go ahead and ask you another question. It was posted earlier this afternoon on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. What Notre Dame football-related storyline do you believe is most likely to occur this spring? So which is most likely to occur from these four choices? Number one, Irish tight end Michael Mayer ends up being a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. The second storyline involving the Notre Dame offense. A real quarterback competition takes place. Not just a spoken one in press conferences, but it is truly Hartman versus Buckner, a true quarterback competition in the spring. Your third possible Notre Dame offensive storyline that is most likely to occur this spring, that Notre Dame in that small little window... This spring they'll add a grad transfer to help the offense. And your fourth and final storyline is that at least one current member of the Notre Dame offense during that window will put their name into the transfer portal. So again, what Notre Dame offensive storyline is most likely to occur this spring? Tight Michael Mayer is in the top 10 of the NFL draft. Hartman and Buckner will have a true quarterback competition, not just a spoken one in press conferences. Number three, Notre Dame will add a grad transfer this spring, and your fourth choice, somebody currently on the roster, will put their name into the transfer portal. We'd love to get your vote, and if you wish... Offer a response, reply to the Twitter question of the day, and we would more than happy to read that on the air. So give it a shot. What Notre Dame offensive storyline is most likely to occur this spring? In regard to yesterday's question about your comfort level with the dynamics of the coordinator search after hearing from Marcus Freeman, Bobby wrote in, Darren, if Marcus Freeman is good, so am I. But it comes down to winning, especially the biggies. Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. Hopefully, the offense is productive. Pressers, speeches, etc., are great. But as BK once said, we're in the business of winning true depth. That's from Bobby. His response to yesterday's Twitter question of the day on my Twitter account at 960 SportsBeep. Sports Beat Tonight brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Hunger is the Story We Can End. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. By the Mishawaka, Education Foundation, granting a better future. And by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, where new beginnings have happy endings. I'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer in about 20 minutes. Coming up next, a look back at last night's key matchup in the Big Ten as Indiana still can't win in East Lansing. Details in a moment, 548 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT.
1: Can listen to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett.
3: It is 553 at WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Thanks for joining me on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your Home of the Irish, and Notre Dame is hosting North Carolina tonight, 9 o'clock tip, 8:30 pregame on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, the middle of the Big Ten standings got much more messy last night after Michigan State downed Indiana. 80 to 65 at the Breslin Center. It is fair to say that Indiana stinks at Michigan State. They are now 3 and 23 in their last 26 trips to East Lansing. For Indiana, it was a rough night to be a visiting team. One week ago, last night, was the tragic shooting on the campus of Michigan State. The Spartans playing at home for the first time since that shooting. A lot of emotion, a lot of extra pregame activity taking place. A very difficult situation for a road team. But at the start of the game, those facts did not factor into Indiana's start. As the Hoosiers rolled out to an 8-0 lead, they got up 12-3, but with 2.27 to go, In the first half, Michigan State took the lead and the Spartans would go on a 22-7 run, carrying over into the second half to build a double-digit lead on Mike Woodson's team. One of the big reasons why, Michigan State was draining threes from everywhere. They outshot their percentage. There was a game earlier this year against Illinois. They did not hardly shoot a three and they didn't hit a three. But in this game, they caught fire. Indiana in the wrong place at the wrong time. Tyson Walker had 23 points after missing his first four shots of the game. He led the Spartans to the 80-65 win over Indiana. A night in which Indiana got off to a great start. In the second half, getting down by double digits. They made a run or two, got within striking distance, but Michigan State, Always had an answer for Indiana last night. And the Spartans, for the most part, played Trace Jackson Davis straight up. Then in the second half, they tweaked things a bit at times, trying to take the basketball out of his hands. And, you know, Trace, the last couple of games, for a guy that leads this team and assists, and he's really good at handling the basketball, the turnovers have mounted. Recently teams are obviously trying to take him out of his rhythm when trace Jackson Davis does not play. Well, I think it's fair to say that Indiana is not going to beat the elite teams in the country. They need him to be outstanding and you know, he's scoring points, but also I think he's just making a few more mistakes than we are used to seeing, but there is a lot of pressure on trace to play. Well, the opposition is forming their defense around him. And right now he's just got to take care of the basketball a little better. He had seven turnovers in last night's ballgame. You know, 8 of 13 from the field, but he missed a couple of layups. Uncharacteristic. He had 19 points in the ball game, And you take a look at his last five games. We'll go from most recent to the fifth game being the game farthest back against Michigan State seven turnovers against Illinois, five, Northwestern, four, Michigan, two, Rutgers, five. So it's been a bit of a hiccup for Jackson Davis in that particular category. But credit to Michigan State, they got rolling. They never took their foot off the gas. They continued to execute. I liked how they got to the basket on Indiana, which got them to the free throw line, and Michigan State, Throttles Indiana by 15, 80 to 65. Indiana head coach Mike Woodson on the defeat at the hands of Tom Izzo Spartans.
2: I thought the three-minute mark before the half is what set the stage for them coming back out of that time Even though we missed, you know, some chippies uh, to start of the second half, our defense was non-existent. Man, I mean, I just don't we didn't control the ball, it was something that you know we were pretty good at. And, uh, I thought their guards had their way like It's our our guards. I mean, Walker and were walking, they were good. They were great. And we couldn't overcome it.
3: Well, I know Mike didn't like the defensive effort. And, no, it was not great. But there was also a point Michigan State was just kind of unconscious from the three-point line. And Michigan State had a really good offensive night. They did not have that great of an offensive performance in Bloomington against Indiana earlier this year when the Hoosiers blew out Michigan State. Tables turned at the Breslin Center last night. And here's Coach Woodson on his team never being able to get the momentum back from Michigan State once they took control of the ball game in the second half of that first half. They
2: played well, man. I mean, listen, his little teams played great. They do. They play hard. And if you, you know, they force you to play hard. If you don't need that, you're going you're gonna to lose. And I thought, I thought we came out playing well early. But, you know, as the game wore on, they, they smashed us. And, you know, I don't like that. Hmm.
3: They smashed us, and I don't like that. For Tom Izzo, he has been one of the voices since the tragedy that took place on the campus of Michigan State a little over a week ago. We all know Tom Izzo as being a very emotional individual. One of his speeches on campus was just tremendous, heartfelt, putting things into perspective. And this is how Tom summed up the night, which included a terrific offensive performance by his club once they got going in the first half against Indiana.
2: Wow. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, I'd like to thank Mike Woodson in Indiana. You know, it's uh, when you have an event like this, and uh, you drag on the pregame a little bit, and you know he wore his shirt and and everything his team did, and uh, I I greatly appreciate it. He sent me a text when it all happened, but to answer the call like he did, and then uh, weather through that, you know, a little bit of a a longer pregame. Uh, was classy on his part, and yet uh, maybe it helped them a little bit because they sure did get off to a better start than we did. I thought it was one of the poorest performances for 13 minutes, <clears throat> 14 minutes. We just seemed like offensively, we didn't move the ball, we didn't do much, and uh, and then between Tyson and uh, and Kohler, we had a few plays, and Tyson was. Uh, out of his mind there in a couple of those shots. And I told him after, you know, he missed that layup late. And I said, you must have to be 30 feet from the basket to make a shot. You know, you can't make a layup, but you make a, a three. But, you know, we just cranked up. Our defense got better, our rebounding got better, and our ball movement got better. And then we started driving the ball. When you start driving the ball, what happens? You get fouled. That hasn't happened to us all year, just about. I thought my staff did a hell of a job. You know, we threw a lot of different things at Trace. Um, the kid is a phenomenal player. I mean, there's two or three really good players, but this kid, uh, you know, he learned how to dribble and pass. I think that's the part of his game that it's improved the most. And he's not only a passer; he's a willing passer, and uh, he leads him in assists. Think about that for a center.
3: Yeah, that is pretty remarkable. That's Tom Izzo, the Michigan State head coach, following the 80-65 win over Indiana, so that particular result helps Purdue to possibly clinch at least a tie for the Big Ten championship this weekend. The scenario, I think, is pretty simple. You've got Northwestern in second place at 11-5, Purdue in first place at 13-4, so Northwestern is a a game-and-a-half back, and they have four games left. Purdue has three games remaining. Northwestern is on the road in a rivalry game taking on Illinois in Shambana tomorrow night. If the Illini knock off the Wildcats and then if Purdue at home beats Indiana on Saturday, that would clinch at least a tie for Matt Painter's team for the Big Ten regular season crown. And once they clinch the tie, all they have to do is win one more game or Northwestern drop another game, and then it is an outright title for the Purdue Boilermakers. So that is the scenario right now. The Boilermaker magic number for clinching at least a tie is two, and they can clinch that tie with an Illinois win over Northwestern tomorrow night and Purdue winning at home against Indiana on Saturday, and that will take pretty much all the drama out of the Big Ten race. So Indiana is 10-7 and seven in third place. But right behind them at nine and seven, Iowa, Illinois, Michigan State, Rutgers, Maryland, Michigan. Six teams at nine and seven. right now as everybody is scrambling to get into the top four in the big Ten standings, that is important because the top four teams in the standings at the end of the regular season earned double buys in the Big Ten tournament in Chicago. That's just two less games. You have to play in route to a Big Ten tournament championship. So, right now, Purdue, Northwestern, and Indiana have three of the four spots. And then you've got that glob of teams right now at nine and seven. And if Illinois beats Northwestern tomorrow night, not only does that help Purdue, it kind of brings the rest of that pack closer to the second seeded Northwestern Wildcats. The middle of the Big Ten standings is like the Daytona 500 a restrictor place race. Everybody's all jammed together, and they're kind of going from lane to lane, trying to find the fastest way around the track. Right now, that's the Big Ten. Everybody is just all piled on top of one another, and truly, it's going to be a wild Big Ten tournament in the Windy City. It is 6.04. Darren Pritchett with you. Let's take a timeout. A sports update is coming up in just a matter of moments. Then we've got a My Five question of the day. The top five way-too-early college football lines, courtesy of FanDuel, two of the five games, involved the Fighting Irish. We'll also talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold's Mike Singer in just a bit, all coming up on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
3: Six fifteen at WSBT Pet Refuge's annual gallon auction will be held. Saturday, March the 11th from 6 until 9 at the Hilton Garden Inn's Gillespie Center in South Bend. This year's event is titled Playing for Keeps. This casual auction will feature games, raffles, a wine pool, food, a cash bar, and lots of fun, including a kitten cuddling tent. Admission is just $50 per person. Come support the dogs and cats of Pet Refuge Saturday, March the 11th for their largest fundraiser of the year. Purchase your tickets online at PetRefuge.com. Reservations must be in by March the 3rd.
1: One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
3: So, would you believe that there are some college football lines available for you to check out and wager on? For the 2023 season, FanDuel has posted almost 20 games already, including three Notre Dame contests. Here are the FanDuel early lines for Notre Dame games. The season opener across the pond, Notre Dame favored by 17.5 against Navy. Keep in mind, last year's Notre Dame team, they were 1-4 against the spread as a double-digit favorite. Two Notre Dame home games have lines you can wager on. When this line started, it was Notre Dame plus 7.5 against Ohio State. It's now Notre Dame plus 8.5 against the Buckeyes. And the other game available on FanDuel already, Notre Dame football at home against USC. The Irish are getting three points. That information leads us to my five way-too-early college football lines, courtesy of FanDuel. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We begin in the Southeastern Conference. It was a dandy in Baton Rouge last year as Brian Kelly went for two to close out the win over Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide. This year, Brian Kelly... Head coach LSU, Tommy Reese, offensive coordinator, Alabama. Oh, there's plenty of intrigue in this game. It's already going to be a great matchup, but now from a Notre Dame perspective, we've got Kelly and Reese in the matchup. I mean, yeah, we got a glance at this game, right? Well, the early line in this game, it's in Tuscaloosa. Alabama is favored by eight and a half. Over LSU. I really like LSU this year, but roll damn tide. You think Nick's going to lose to Brian again? No, sir. Even with a couple of key losses early on in the process, I'm going Tommy Reese and Alabama minus eight and a half against LSU. I'll go right back to LSU. Go Bayou Bengals. The rematch from last year at the Superdome when LSU had an extra point block. Florida State won. LSU taking on Florida State again. LSU getting a point. I'll take that point and ride with BK, Mike Denbrock, and the Bayou Bengals.
1: Okay, okay. Uh,
3: Number three. My five way-too-early college football favorite lines courtesy of FanDuel. Coming in at number three, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame at Notre Dame Stadium taking on their arch rival, the USC Trojans. Caleb Williams, Heisman Trophy winner. He's back. He's ready to roll once again. You would have to imagine Notre Dame They're going to be locked and loaded on Caleb Williams, right? Another year of picking up some of his tendencies. And the odds makers believe this team from Southern California that still have defensive woes will have the answer for Jared Parker's offense, led by quarterback Sam Hartman. The early odds, October 7th, Notre Dame Stadium, USC favored by three against the Fighting Irish. How dare the odds makers make USC the favorite. Don't they know what's happened around these parts when USC comes to town the last decade? Yeah, Lincoln Riley's here, but come on now. Come on. We're talking about Sam Hartman at quarterback, those stable of running backs. My early look at this game, thanks to FanDuel, I'm going Notre Dame plus three against the University of SoCal. You can have Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. I'm going Sam Hartman and the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Let's move along. Number two. All right. Early college football lines, courtesy of FanDuel, my five favorite, up to number two. Let's go right back to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. That's right. The Irish are going to take on the Ohio State University Buckeyes at Notre Dame Stadium September 23rd. The Buckeyes will still be early in the process of replacing their all-everything quarterback, C.J. Stroud. Notre Dame is a heavy underdog against the Buckeyes, who might be, might be, I say might be the third best team in the Big Ten this year. Are the odds makers just relying on past history with Ohio State that they're just gonna be good? Well, Notre Dame played them to an 11-point game In Columbus last year when Ohio State very easily could have hammered them. Didn't happen. So let's go. Notre Dame will take the eight and a half points at Notre Dame Stadium against the Ohio State Buckeyes. And by the way, Notre Dame last year as an underdog went three and one with two outright victories. Let's go Irish plus eight and a half against Ohio State.
1: Number one.
3: Which leads us to number one, my favorite way-too-early college football line, courtesy of FanDuel. I mentioned a moment ago Ohio State might be the third-best team in the Big Ten. Hmm. Well, you probably know Michigan is ahead of Ohio State, but who's that other team? Keep an eye on Penn State. They believe they are locked and loaded to be a major factor in the Big Ten East this year. They have their eyes set on winning that division, winning the Big Ten championship, and going to the playoff. If we are going to believe in Penn State, then we are going to have to take Penn State against Ohio State in Columbus October 14th. So with that being said, we'll take Penn State plus eight at Ohio State. So our five early favorite lines for the college football season courtesy of FanDuel. Alabama roll damn tide, minus 8.5 against LSU. LSU plus 1 against Florida State. Notre Dame plus 3 against USC. Notre Dame plus 8.5 against Ohio State. And we'll take another dog, Penn State plus 8 against Ohio State. We'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold's Mike Singer next on WSBT.
1: Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBT WSBTradio.com, the WSBT radio app, and on Twitch as Darren Pritchett talks Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated insider... Mike Singer.
3: My conversation with Mike is on 960 AM WSBT and also available on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Well, Mike, good to be with you. And Notre Dame now has an offensive coordinator, a very familiar name for Irish fans from last year when he joined the staff as tight end coach. It is Jared Parker. It's official. He met the media on Monday. And the first thing I'll say is he absolutely stole that press conference. I was truly impressed, Mike, with the way he handled a lot of questions including what in the world his role was at west virginia in terms of play calling but i thought he had a really good day
4: i mean he said "off shucks in there um <laughs> i mean when you drop off shucks in a press conference i'm sold um but yeah you like the good southern um accent in there um he's just he's a, he's a good you know kind of family faith football guy I, I'm, I'm rooting for him i'm pulling for him at notre Dame. seems like a a really nice guy and a good recruiter from everything I'm told, you know, source called him a war daddy. Uh, I think I talked about that last week. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, look with anyone, they would hire Darren. It's going to be a, we'll see whether Absolutely. it's Colin Klein or, um, you know, me or, or, or Jared Parker or Darren Pritchard, whoever the offense coordinator was going to be, you know, it's going to be a, we'll see there's, there, you know, there, there can be home runs on paper, but otherwise, you, you don't know. I mean, Tommy Reese was hired as offensive coordinator with absolutely no experience, um, and you know, three years later, he's going to Alabama for the same position. So, um, which if we we can have the is that a, a lateral move or an upgrade? We can have that debate a different day. But it's uh, it's Alabama football. But yeah, going back to your point, I thought Jared Parker had, you know carried himself really well in his press conference. You know, good speaker, really good man. Um, you know, it's a solid good for the Irish.
3: Mike, I know that Mark has brought a couple other candidates to town. For whatever reason, they didn't work out. So he interviewed a member of his staff, someone he's known for a good amount of time going back to their days at Purdue. Why do you think ultimately Marcus decided to go this direction?
4: Well, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> you're giving me a, a softball here. It, it, a big part of why he went in this direction is because Ludwig and Colin Klein, did, you know, and that's a different discussion for a different day as well, whether it was a more about related with Ludwig or, um, you know, if they, if he truly did, you know, just have a change of heart or, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, to stay uh, at Utah, but that's a big part. I mean, they, I was told they had zoom calls with, you know, many candidates, but it was kind of the narrowed down to the two that they brought on campus and Klein and Ludwig. Um, And I think when Ludwig turned them down, it was, or again, it was by, you know, different discussion for a different day. Um, But I think that they just kind of were like, we're not restarting this thing. We did that. We like the guy we have in house. Um, I, you know, I think the comfort thing is, that's real. And I think that's something that Marcus Schumann values. And, um, you know, people in the goop feel like that. You know, he's got a brilliant football mind and um, it kind of will continue this thing. And I think the sneaky big thing that not people are talking about enough Darren, is Gino Godouli, the quarterback's coach. I really, this is, this is my singer gut talking with a little bit of sourcing in, but you know, a lot of my gut is that um, this is a lot more of um these two guys working together, quarterbacks, coach, and offensive coordinator, gaduli and Parker. Um, I think this they're working a lot more hand-in-hand. They're not co-coordinators, um, but I think Gadouli, um is going to be pretty involved in kind of the direction of the offense. So I, it's exciting. You know, I, I really like to hire gaduli so much just focused on the Ludwig thing and um, in hiring Parker, but good duly, We're not talking about that enough. And when I say we talk, she's talking about the Notre Dame, um, you know, family and, and, and Twitter sphere and all that in general, sneaky good hire for the Irish.
3: I'm not overly concerned about the coordinator, not being the quarterback coach. I think there are many ways to do this. I think you can argue Mike when you have a quarterback coach who is not going to be focused on game planning and play calling, they can spend time with the starter and also spend more time with a Steve Angeli and continuing to get his skills up to a higher level. So I'm not overly concerned that the offensive coordinator is the tight end coach. In fact, you mentioned Godouli. What happened at Cincinnati? He was the quarterback coach. Mike Denbrock was the offensive coordinator and a position coach, and that worked out very, very well as Cincinnati went to the playoffs. So I think if people are concerned about the offensive coordinator not being the quarterback coach, I'm totally fine with that.
4: Is there concern? I think the only thing is, it's just, it's different. Uncommon yes. that you, yeah, yeah. It's different. It's uncommon that your your quarterback or your offense coordinator is not your quarterback's coach. It's just, that's just how it is. You know uh, you know, you, you play quarterback, you're supposed to be the smart guy, you know, and, uh, you understand defense is all that, and then you just kind of naturally – like the quarterback's coach is kind of the hot and up-and-coming guy, right? And um, uh, I-, I think Adule is going to be an offensive coordinator, whether it's at Notre Dame or somewhere else in probably a couple years. Um, his, you know, path as a coach just seems to be an upward trend. And, um, yeah, Jared Parker, um, yeah, I, I think I- – we, we talked about the four-star recording, we don't really know what his whole deal at or West Virginia was. So he's got a little bit of experience in there, um, but I don't think we can look at his time at West Virginia um, and be like, ah, that was a failure or success. It was just a whole weird ordeal. So yeah, blank slate for me for Jared Parker. Um, but again, just what we kind of seen and, and what I've gathered from him seems like a really nice guy um, and a really smart football coach, good recruiter again, but what he'll do on the field, Darren? i got no idea. We'll, we'll see you this fall.
3: I'm Darren Pritchett. He's Mike Singer, Notre Dame football insider for recruiting at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We're live on WSBT Radio and also on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. One other thing from Parker's press conference I just want to mention, and I think we're on the same wavelength here. Uh, Marcus Freeman, Jared, talked about a pro-style offense. I mean, today, you look at the NFL, they're almost running a college-style offense. So pro-style offense doesn't really mean much to me. I don't think there's many teams across the country not running a form of a pro-style offense. Now, the air rate is a little different. But, Mike, I think we're just going to see what a lot of teams are doing across the country. And also, I think you're going to see an offense that probably has some characteristics of the National Football League.
4: Darren, I remember playing NCAA you know, 14. 11, 12, 13, 14, those video yep. games, right? And when you would pick your school that you were going to play as, there were different offenses. It would be spread offense, air raid, pro style, triple option. Nowadays, it's. A sp- I mean, everyone's doing the same stuff. Yep. Um, obviously, your, your academy schools are, you know, doing the triple option, but everyone's doing shotgun. I mean, it, it's... Everyone's spreading it out. You know, Notre Dame might run more under center than some other schools. You know, at times, but it's all the same stuff. The what you want to call the offense, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, everyone's—we're not having that discussion like we did a decade ago about different styles of offense. And everyone's starting to run a spread and look at what Oregon's doing. Everyone is doing this stuff. It's a copycat game. Total non-discussion for me. Think nothing of it. Let's move along
3: to something you had recently, what, blue chip ratio?
4: Give me a little <laughs> details on this. So I, I think when someone thinks of blue chip recruit, you're thinking, oh, that five-star guy. So the blue chip ratio is the amount of four and five stars you have for your class. So if you sign 20 overall players and 17 of them are ranked a four or five star, then your blue chip ratio is eighty five percent. So that's that's really all that is. So Notre Dame's blue chip ratio uh, for the twenty twenty three recruiting class uh, was seventy nine percent. They signed uh, twenty four high school recruits, and seventy nine percent of them were four and five star players. And, and that was, I think, of the top ten schools nationally like of the top 10 where they ended up ranking in the 23 class per the on three consensus rankings. It was number, they had the fourth best blue chip ratio. That's really all it is. And, and it really is just a way Darren to look at how deep your class is. So it, and so you're looking at the four and five stars, but really what you're doing is how many three stars do you have? Like how many of the low ranked guys that to me, that's what this points out. So only having 21% of your classes ranked as three-star, that's a pretty good number. You compare that uh, to 2022, Notre Dame's 77%. That's strong. Off to a really good start in 2024 per, uh, 2024 class with 88%. Uh, if you look back at the 2021 class when Notre Dame signed 27 players, blue chip ratio of 48%, Darren. That's a, that's a really low number. So you want it to be above 70% for, for the fighting Irish because you're signing just a higher quality of player, less projects. You know, typically your three-star guys that the you're going to sign, and I'm speaking very generally here, are going to be more of projects, um, you know, boomer bust type talent. So, yeah, you like to see the higher blue chip ratio because you're just, again, you're raising the, the floor, of your recruiting class. Maybe not the ceiling because not all four and five stars are rated equal. You can have the number one overall player in the country or the number 350 overall player in the country kind of lumped together there because they're both a four or five star. But for me, and looking at the blue chip ratio, it's more about how many three stars are you signing or should I say the lack of three star players that you're signing?
3: Hmm. Mike, I want to talk about the city of Chicago for a second. Yeah. Let me give you my perspective as a non-recruiting analyst, and then you can rip it to shreds and, and take it from there, but it seemed like the last few years under Brian Kelly that the city of Chicago is important to Notre Dame, but it wasn't maybe emphasized as much as previous head coaches since I've been here in town. Now, if there's a great player, of course, they're going to go after him, but it felt like there was a lot of emphasis on Georgia, Florida, Texas, which is smart, don't get me wrong, are we starting to see Notre Dame jump back more into the city of Chicago? Because you think about Iowa and Wisconsin, the success they've had. They live in the city of Chicago. I know Brett Bielema at Illinois is trying to get back into Chicago. I'm just curious, am I way off base? And do you feel like Marcus Freeman is more involved in Chicago than we've seen the last few years? So rip me to shreds. No, no, no ripping no? to shreds.
4: No? Wow. I... I is that, is that, is that better I'm disappointed. I' better Hey, it makes on. for good radio. Uh, Come on. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, Darren. I, I think about this and just kind of my experience covering Notre Dame football recruiting, they're kind of like Chicago. They recruit the same as Chicago. They do Dallas or Atlanta. You know, it's, it's Notre Dame. They're really everywhere, you know. So they're recruiting Chicago, but it's not like, they're recruiting it super hard, and their main focus is Chicago. Or it's not like they're just slacking off in Chicago and ignoring Chicago. Um, they're just recruiting it as normal. So Reese was leading Notre Dame's recruiting efforts in Chicago. He would do most of the what we call area recruiting, right? right. So someone like Jared Parker, um, Notre Dame's new office coordinator. His areas were Nashville. He did all the state of Tennessee He dabbled in Atlanta a little bit, but it's South Carolina, North Carolina. That was more of his area recruiting. Of course, you're going to go recruit your tight ends specifically. And for Tommy Reese, he was recruiting his quarterbacks. But how many of your quarterbacks is he going to recruit? He's got his 2024 guy. Of course, you're going to look at different 2025s. But when you're not doing that, this spring evaluation period from mid-April to end of May is six weeks. I mean, how many quarterbacks can you see in that period? So when you're not doing that, you're recruiting your areas. And for Reese, it was Chicago. His returns on Chicago are kind of up for debate. You know, a lot of people I talked to weren't, too, I haven't been too thrilled with him. So you have Gino Gadouli, the new quarterbacks coach, yet to be announced as officially hired, but it's just a matter of time here. But, He's taking over in Chicago. He's already got a good relationship with Cam Williams, who's Notre Dame's receiver commit in 2024. I think that's a nice little bonus here. Um, But, yeah, I don't really have strong opinions here, Darren. They're they're just active in it as if, you know, it's any other top area in the country. It's just kind of easier for them to recruit there because it is local. You could almost
3: say that Notre Dame is recruiting so well from coast to coast they don't have to emphasize an area maybe compared to they a coaching don't staff 15 it. years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah, yeah. It's not like, oh, if we don't you know, crush Chicago, yeah. we're going to fall apart of a program. So I, I don't know, i like, probably taking some people off from Chicago, but like it, it's an area that they're obviously diving deep into, but the success of the program is not going to be dependent on them recruiting in any specific area. Like, if they don't kill it in Chicago, I mean, they, they haven't, you know? And they've been doing pretty well. And I don't know if, like, signing all the kids from Chicago is going to win them a national championship in, in 2024. You know, like, um, so would, I would like them to sign more players from Chicago. Um, but they just had a really good run in Texas. And they signed the most kids in Texas this past cycle than they signed in the Internet era. And that's even without Peyton Bowen. Try not to say his name on too many of these shows, but I just let that slip. Um, but yeah, you want Notre Dame to be crushing it in Texas too, because of the talent yeah. there. So I, I like Georgia. You mentioned Notre Dame's not been killing it in Georgia lately. They were, you know, 2019, 2021 signing a bunch of guys from Georgia. they are not really doing that anymore. It's cyclical. And that, all right, this is a big area for Notre Dame. This is a big area. And why? It's because Notre Dame's going where the talent yeah. is. And, and, you know, that, that's kind of it at the end of the day.
3: Is there a good crop of Chicago kids in 2024?
4: Yeah, I mentioned Cam Williams, uh, number 30 overall player nationally, number six receiver, committed to Notre Dame last summer, uh, and on threes rankings, have no, number 20 overall, number five receiver, just slightly higher. Um, absolutely love him, put on a show at Irish Invasion last year. And of course, uh, Justin Scott, who uh, we probably mentioned more than anybody uh, you know, on our show, Darren, uh, number 20 overall player per the consensus, um, number three defensive lineman. On three loves him um, as well. So those are kind of the, the two big names for Notre Dame. Uh, Justin Scott, you know, I put in a prediction for the Ashley team last summer. That almost, And then I didn't love it in the fall, and then I loved it in January because he was going to commit to Notre Dame by all accounts at the end of January on his birthday. And then he puts his date back and he's going to visit Georgia. And I I don't know, Darren's kind of all over the place. Um, So I definitely would not say he's a major Notre Dame lean at this point. It's kind of up for grabs. Notre Dame's still working on him. Uh, And then a couple of players of note, Darion Dupree um, from Mount Carmel, uh, three-star prospect, but someone who we really liked when we got to see him camp at Notre Dame last June, thought he was, uh, an outstanding running back, the Irish offered him in January, um, and he'll be one to keep an eye on. It's a potential second back, and Marquise Lightfoot um, from Kenwood Academy, four-star player. Um, you know, Darren, it's it's hard for me to say with a ton of certainty like uh, anything on the defensive line board. Other than I think Bryce Young is trending pretty strongly towards Notre Dame. He's the son of Bryant Young. He's down in Charlotte, and Notre Dame has Owen wasteful committed into your defensive line. But but other than that, like. I don't know if Notre Dame's going to land Marquise Lightfoot or the other 50 defensive linemen they're after right now. The defensive line board is just so massive right now that, you know, Lightfoot coming off the edge, like just how does he stack up on the board? I don't have a strong sense of it right now, but Notre Dame offered him, I want to say it was last April. So he's uh, been a player on the board for, for quite some time. Um, And he's been to Notre Dame um, four times in total. So uh, definitely a player who's definitely familiar with. And yeah, all four of these guys, I like, I wouldn't be stunned if Notre Dame ends up with all four, Um, you know, that parlay probably doesn't happen, but Notre Dame's definitely a good position with all of them.
3: Michael, let's close up shop with this. If I'm a 2026 elite player, should I be expecting a phone call possibly from Notre Dame with an interesting offer?
4: I, I guess they've offered a few at this point, but to me, when you're talking about offering what, what are they, freshmen, freshmen in high school right now, it's it's so far in advance. Like they've offered um, four players in total, um, so it's it's nothing too crazy. One of them's Emmett Mosley's younger brother, Trent. Emmett Mosley, of course, his father. Um, you know, Emmett Mosley played um, at, at Notre Dame. Cindy Mosley, um, his mom, um, played soccer at Notre Dame. So it's not, nothing too crazy. I'm out of the 2026 class yet. But, hey, staff is offering guys early. But it's I don't there, – there's nothing too much to say. But, yeah, they're they're leaving no stones unturned, even with freshmen it appears.
3: All right, Mike, we are heading towards spring practice. Not too far away. We still have – a quarterback coach press conference to get to, and also the hiring of an offensive line coach. So many, many reasons for people to join the blue and gold family
4: right now. Yeah, how about that? We even hired uh, Kyle Kelly, uh, a, a reporter. Um, we, you know, got him over from Rivals. We're really excited about him. He started with us on Monday, so you can read. Um, I mean, look—if you like just my work at Blue and Gold covering recruiting. We got doubled it up now. Kyle Kelly's just hit the ground running. And for folks wondering, Mike, does that mean you're leaving or you're not going to be covering recruiting as much? No, no, just added, a, you know, another writer to the stable. We're super pumped about it. So, uh, Blue and Gold, always the place to be.
3: So, I'll just start calling you the super-duper insider then to separate you two. There you go. Is that okay?
4: There you go. All right.
3: <laughs> I'll take it then. Mike, good to be with you as always. Greatly appreciate the conversation. And maybe next week we'll be chatting about Officially having a quarterback coach and maybe an offensive line hire, so we'll do it again. I, I, I would love that, Darren. Let's just get this news done with us and <laughs> move along. All right. He's Mike Singer. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat continues in just a moment on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT.